Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode today. Very excited. It is the second annual Thinking Basketball Sub All-Stars. That's right, the Sub All-Star team. That's the concept where after the All-Stars, there's a group of players who still provide some nice impact. They still move the championship needle a little bit. And so after the first 25 or so players in the league, we look at the kind of roughly the next 25. That's the topic. That's the concept. Uh, Last year, I went a little over 50 players deep. In other words, the sub all-star team had around 26, 27 guys on it. This year, we'll do the same thing. There's some injuries that pop up and things like that. But I think the, the final number that I came up with was 55, trying to keep it around out to 50. And I threw a couple guys in there that just, I'm in a giving mood. I'm in the mood to really draw the line. I mean, I got to arbitrarily draw the line somewhere. That's the challenge with this task. So I think it comes out to about 55 players this year when you include all the all-stars on top of them. So we're going to do sub all-stars. Before we begin, speaking of drawing the line, um, no disrespect is intended to any players. That seems to be a theme lately going around the league. A lot of players feeling disrespected that they didn't make the team. And I actually think this is something that I see more in discourse, not just the talking heads, but Twitter or whatever it may be, just the, the conversation around basketball. And that's this idea that if you had to pick an all-star team with 12 players and you had guy number 13, that you're disrespecting guy number 13. And this is something that I've been kind of sensitive to for a while because then logically the argument or the or the, the concern you're voicing doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because then if you took your 13 guy and you made him 12 and you put your 12 guy at 13, then aren't you disrespecting the 13 guy? In other words, by this reasoning, you have to disrespect someone. It's not like we're uh, just randomly putting bench players on the all-star team. You know, there are... Most of the time, we agree with the the larger group of all-stars that are selected. Some of the fringe guys, everyone always has a, a guy that they think is a snub and someone who maybe is a little overrated, or if you like defense or offense, or if you're big into scoring, most people don't look at the all-star game year after year after year and go, 100% of the time, they got it exactly the way I would do it. But that doesn't mean you disrespected you know, that doesn't mean there was disrespect to the player who had the 13th most votes or the 14th most votes. And I think that carries through in every basketball conversation. It's been a very trying, difficult week uh, in the basketball community. And I think for me, maybe it's just because of the last week, I'm a little more sensitive to the idea that if you rank, you know, if you said, give me, give me your top five guards and I gave you five, that the sixth player is disrespected or it's disrespectful. That's not even really how we use that word uh, in everyday parlance. That word really has a, a heavy connotation in its usage around like being rude or discourteous or showing contempt for, you know, uh, not respecting someone's boundaries um, or saying saying things to them that are inappropriate. So this is kind of like a new thing. This this wasn't really around 
when I was growing up or even 15 years ago in the conversation, you didn't say like, oh, that's so disrespectful. You rank a player differently. That's disrespectful. So that is a that is a mini diatribe to say that uh, all of these guys are great. I mean, we're talking about the top end basketball players. And the whole point of this exercise for me is to extend that because I've always thought there's a there's a chapter in thinking basketball or a concept in thinking basketball called star counting. And so your mind has a propensity to just go look up things that were counted, in this case, all-star births or players who made the all-star team. And But there's only you know 25 guys or so every year that meet that standard. And so what you do is you throw everyone else in the same basket. And for me, I've always been really, really interested in the next layer of players, you know, you can extend it out to solid starters and things like that. Good role players, you'll, you'll hear me talk about this a lot. And so that's the idea. So the idea is really about continuing to, I mean, these are all the best players in the league. So we're going to continue to talk about the, the very best basketball players in the world. But somebody, if you have 100 players in the league, somebody's got to be the 100th best player and somebody's got to be the first. And I, I get the frustration for the players themselves, Bradley Beal was really frustrated. We will talk about him today. I think part of the frustration, look, if, if you're an individual, you always want to get the recognition and the validation. But there's another component that I think the players themselves um, are fighting uphill against, which, which I sympathize with. And that is all of the numbers, all of the counting stats, especially the things we associate uh, with being rewarded with all-star teams. You know, counting stats historically are way, way, way more um, awarded when making an all-star team than defense or role players or guys on on uh, you know third or fourth positions on really good teams. And so, what we're talking about today, for instance, is there are there are 16 players in the league right now that average 23 points per game. There are 12 players in the league that average over 25 points per game. That was like a rare gold standard in the 90s and 2000s. So a lot of these players 8, 10, 12 years ago when they were growing up would have seen a guy averaging the numbers that they're averaging and think, wait a second, that's that's an all-star basketball player. It's not their job to sit around and consider that more and more people are averaging those numbers as well. So in 2008... There were seven 23-point-per-game scores and five 25-point-per-game scores. Today, there are 16 23-point-per-game scores, as I said. So that's another thing to consider. All right. With that, with that all out of the way, this is how this works. Uh, if someone made the All-Star team, they were picked on the All-Star team as of the day or two after the replacements have been announced. So 12 guys on the East, 12 guys on the West, no replacements. If I have them as an all-star and they're an all-star level, uh, and you won't hear them mentioned on this podcast. So those guys are the all-stars. It's the guys who, to me, didn't get uh, awarded with an all-star bid. We'll talk about them. And then sometimes there's all-stars who are selected to the team who I don't think are all-stars. So we'll talk about them as well. So everyone else, if you don't hear them, they're on the all-star team. They're good. Other than that, we are going to go through the sub-all-star team. So first, let's start with those all-star players that, to me, are playing at an all-star level or essentially, I think, have all-star level value by the time you get to the playoffs here. 
that didn't make the all-star team right now. Guy number one, guy number guy, guy number one. Um, well, that was extremely northeast of me. Uh, first player is Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns, I did a video on him. Just a spectacular high-end offensive player for a big man. Even when you include the guards in the league, one of the better offensive players in the league. And so whatever defensive shortcomings he has keeps him easily uh, in all-star range. I think in the video, I even described him at a higher level of play. Another guy similarly in that category, but he didn't make the team probably like Towns because of injury. And that is Paul George. That is a no-brainer all-star to me. Uh, Another one that's a no-brainer all-star, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie has only played in 19 games as of recording this, but uh, putting up, again, stellar offensive numbers across the board. I am not someone who is overly concerned about his, you know, there's a narrative building around Kyrie Irving that he hurts his teams and his teams are better when he leaves. There may be some subtle, subtle truths in there that impact his overall on-court value. But once again, he is playing at a very high level, extremely skilled offensive player. So that is another 19 games in. uh, That is another all-star level player for me. Bradley Beal is another one. Bradley Beal, to me, really, really skilled offensive player. Now, the question with Bradley Beal, there's two big question marks that I think are worth discussing when you say, like, is Bradley Beal an all-star level player? Because I think a more reasonable discussion in, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but I remember hearing and entertaining, you know, like, how good is this guy as an all-NBA level guard, which I think had validity. Is He's really, really skilled on offense. And so the question to me on offense becomes, is his three-point shooting really kind of going away? Or is he just in the midst of a slump? You know, we know you need a huge number of three-point shots to really get an accurate picture of how good you are as a three-point shooter and variability and injuries and things like that can send you you know this is like he was 40 percent a couple years ago then 36 percent now he's down to 33 percent and I think to me more importantly when you look at things like pull up threes open catch and shoot threes um, he is down he was he was kind of at the same level high 30s low 40s for a number of years and then the last couple seasons he has dropped off. And so the question is, if you don't believe in him as a three-point shooter anymore, and you don't believe he has the accuracy on that shot, then he does lose some value. So good as a spacer, so good stretching the court, and the catch-and-shoot element for him to be able to do stuff on the basketball, but also slide slide off the ball in better circumstances, that off-ball value pairing with so many great on-ball players theoretically um, and of course used to with John Wall used to have the ball more in Washington if that's not there how much does that hurt his value so that's one big question for Bradley Beal the other thing is the defense now Beal is one of these guys that I have never done a deep dive on but in the past he's shown me defensive mechanics with his physical tools on the ball at least that I've thought like, okay, hmm, interesting. If you put him in high-level situations in the postseason, maybe he's really not going to be a defensive liability. He may not be able to ratchet up value in those situations and make incredible plays and um, you know all that kind of stuff. But again, having not really looked under the hood too deeply, 
this was a guy who, if anything, I was thinking, hmm, doesn't look quite as bad on defense as advertised. Now you look at his performances this year in all of the defensive impact metrics. Raptor has a what they call a box score component, which is actually just a bunch of tracking data without any plus minus data involved. And so you, you look at these sort of high level totality of his defensive situation this year in terms of what numbers are picking up, and it's a disaster. And that, of course, is, is pulling down his overall metrics. And so then you have to say, like, do you trust that? Do you trust that the circumstance or something inherent about his play or his effort, you know, maybe it's his effort, um, what is it that is causing him to look so bad in these particular composite high-level defensive metrics? I don't have an answer. I can tell you in preparing for this exercise, uh, just as a, a barometer, a compass, I grabbed uh, all the major one-number metrics and I lumped them together in a blend. Again, not for the purposes of ranking, but just to see where these things had these people. And Bradley Beal was the 11th best offensive player in the league looking at those things, combining you know R- RPM, Jacob Goldstein's PIPM, Raptor, my box plus minus model. And so you say, okay, this guy looks like the 11th best player in the league, quote unquote. Uh, don't, don't put too much stock in that, but that's what they're saying. And then you look at the defense and he's 280 out of 282 guys that I looked at. Now, to me, I don't really trust either of them. I think that Washington is playing a style of basketball this year that is skewed offense and at the expense of defense. And so that is, in a way, creating noise here that makes it a little hard to find the signal because it's probably helping Beal's offensive metrics a little bit. His, by the way, he's averaging about 28 points per 75, but his efficiency, his overall scoring efficiency, true shooting percentage is right around league average. Um, but, you know, still coming out as a good passer. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, the outside shot hasn't been falling as much, but he's creating shots for teammates. He's a, he's a focal point. He can play on the ball. He's got some activity off the ball. I mean, there, it's all there. The foundation is there. But do you think he's a top 10 offensive player in the league? Um, probably not for me, but, you know, okay, maybe he's not that far away. But the defense just takes the brunt of that. And so all of this is to say, if you buy the fact that Bradley Beal is really, really questionable on defense, then I understand not having him on the all-star team this year. Still a pretty comfortable all-star for me, though. Uh, speaking of guys who aren't comfortable all-stars, Russell Westbrook I literally the only player in this exercise that I just put right on the fence, not really sure what to make of him. And the reason for uh, my sort of ambivalence around Westbrook is as follows. He has all of a sudden stopped taking three pointers. This is the thing that I've really been hoping for all year. And by the way, shooting 84% in the last few months from the free throw line. So that whole thing's coming back. His shot looks a little better. The mid-range shot looks a little better. You know, maybe he's got a little more elevation with whatever happened with his knee last year. But there's also a stylistic change. And as I said, that's no three-pointers being used in as a role man more, um, a little bit more in the mid-range, hitting him in the post. And so all of a sudden, his efficiency's up. 
Like the last seven games, he's a positive efficiency player. He's flying all over the court. He's getting to the basket. The counting stats are off the charts. They're like 35 points, 9 assists, 9 rebounds. As you know, I don't really care too much about the counting stats in this equation. What I care about is if he's going to play like that, all of a sudden you have a guy who is another, like a decently positive offensive piece because he can create shots, he gets downhill, he can make the extra pass, the short roll thing. Um, they're picking, they're using him to pick on players in mismatches and then the speed in transition, and he's getting stuff in transition, very similar to Ben Simmons. I've actually heard people connect those two guys and say one is just a much taller version of the other. So I'm not entirely sure where I'll end up with Westbrook at the end of the year when it comes to my final player valuations, but for the purpose of this exercise, I'm going to call him an all-star. Wanted to bring that up, even though he made the all-star team. Two more guys that made the all-star team who I briefly wanted to acknowledge before we get to the sub-all-stars. One is Jason Tatum. I think he's played at an all-star level this year, and he was on the first annual sub-all-star team. So he was a sub-all-star last year, even though he was you know, heavily criticized in that sophomore campaign. I thought there was a lot of promising growth talked about in the video I did on him in well, around this time last year, I think it was January of the 2019 season. And this year, I do think he has continued to grow into an all-star player for the Celtics. The other guy I did a video on, and going back and looking at the show notes for that first annual sub-all-star, I, I went back and looked at that and I said, wait a second, what did I get myself into trying to do this sub-all-star exercise? And here we are again, it gets really hard at the end. So just keep that in mind when you get to the 49th and 50th and 51st player. Uh, but a guy who didn't make the cut, who was right there in the notes as one of the last cuts, was Devin Booker. And I wasn't entirely sure what to do with Devin Booker. Uh, I did a video on him over the summer when the season ended. So you can check out a lot of sort of where I was on Booker heading into this year. And as I talked about in last week's show, Most Improved Players, I have been impressed by some of his strides, and he's so skilled and such a good shooter, but I think continues to make strides uh, a little bit better defensively um, and then off ball and the way he's getting into his actions and his decisions. Everything just looks crisper and smoother and tighter. And as I talked about last week, even though those, those aren't clear giant jumps that you can necessarily see in history, those small incremental jumps can make such a difference and kind of grow you into it. Okay, now I'm a sub all-star player. Now I'm a top 40 player in the NBA. Now I'm an all-star. Now I'm an all-NBA player. That's what happens to these guys as they age up and get into their 25, 27, 29-year-old seasons. I think Booker's been in the league for about 10 years. Okay, let's get to it. Second annual Thinking Basketball sub all-star team. By the way, uh, Luka Doncic was a sub all-star last year obviously an all-star this year. So another guy graduating off this list for me. Uh, Okay, let's begin. Let's start with the guards. And one guard who was an all-star for me last year, and he's struggled this season, but I still think he's, you know, kind of in this range or discussion as a player, all-star. So he's right right there, but sub-all-star for me this season, that's Drew Holiday. And the question is like, where can he get to as a player? Where, what is it about him? I just feel like he's been a little worse on both ends. The offense hasn't been as tight and crisp. I think 
he's a guy who wants a running mate. He can't really handle having a huge high volume load usage as a, as a player, but still you want him doing stuff on ball. That's where he's got, you know, some offensive value. I don't think too highly of him as an offensive player overall anyway, but does have a nice passing repertoire, really a nice uh, kind of feel for lob passes. I'm excited to see some synergy there with Zion Williamson. Now that Zion's back in the lineup. So, you know, definitely um, in this range for Drew Holiday for me. So he's an easy, pretty easy pick as a sub all-star guard. Obviously a fantastic on-ball guard defender, can switch multiple positions, really strong through his hips, good footwork. Um, Drew Holiday. Next guard for me, and again, these aren't necessarily in order, just to make that clear, but I will, um, when we progress through the team, say like, okay, these guys were a little bit harder, or they're on the fringe or the cusp or whatever. But next guard for me, and a guy, a guy I almost was surprised didn't make the actual all-star team, um, and that's Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon, just his ability this year to point of attack decision-making and passing for Indiana that's been really impressive is his passing profile and shot creation has been really, really good for them. Um, Coming in at about 20 points per 75, just below league average true shooting percentage. I think if he, he has no ability to finish at the rim, which really kind of takes him out of a, a high level offensive guard discussion for me. But if he had that, I think the scoring would be up, the efficiency would be up, the other metrics would be buoyed by that. And I don't, he doesn't need to finish like a, a Titan, like he doesn't need to be Michael Jordan heading to the basket, but he's really, really struggled finishing at the rim this year. His rim finishing numbers, by the way, are he's shooting like 51% at the rim, which is near the bottom of the entire NBA, just, just to put it in perspective. But still a good enough offensive performer we know he can shoot Um, he's done really nice work you know showed in Milwaukee that he can do some secondary or tertiary on ball creation when needed and then a solid defender as a guard and I think the totality of that is enough for him to be sort of in this range of player okay next guy speaking of guard defenders I think he is possibly the cream of the crop he's certainly in that discussion for best guard defenders in the league and that is Marcus Smart for the Celtics. He was a sub all-star last year for very much the same reason. So this is his second appearance on the team. And and frankly, something interesting about Smart is that depending on how highly you think of him defensively and the situation, you know, if you can put him in the right situation on offense, I actually think you have a guy who is pushing all-star level value. And and the thing that has really changed for me on him is his shot is starting to come around. Like I said this last year, his shot is mechanically not going to be the shot from the early days of Marcus Smart where you have a guy shooting 30%. He's very clearly to me a 35, 36, 37. He's now a competent sort of like mid-30s three-point shooter. And so that adds value as a spacer. That adds value um, when you play him next to on-ball players. But then the passing. I mean, his passing keeps getting better every year. He's become a really, really good passer. Not just the sort of fluid overall uh, connective tissue passing, 
Um, but on ball playmaking, like pick and roll reads, little pocket passes, lob passes, he's he's really developed a fantastic feel as a passer in the last few years and this year peaking in that area um, clearly to me. And so all of a sudden you have a guy who no longer is a defensive uh, offensive liability and he's a fantastic defensive player. Okay, next up, uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, second-year player. This is his first time making the Thinking Basketball sub-all-star squad. Talked about him in a Thinking Basketball video recently, so you can go check that out for details, breaking down his game. Love his handle, love his ability to now score at three levels and kind of a sneakily better defender than you think. And again, I I just think he's in this range, this sort of like top 50 player discussion the remaining guards I would say all have arguments in my mind for me to go huh I'm not sure they should make this team and that's the nature of this exercise that's so darn difficult it's because the difference between the 15th best player and the 25th best player in the NBA can be clear the difference between the first best player and the third best player can be large But the difference between the 37th best player and the 42nd best player is, I mean, your confidence level between one clearly being better than the other is basically non-existent. You can basically interchange those with any reasonable arguments in your head. Okay, maybe he's a little better on offense, or maybe his shooting's helped by this teammate or whatever. And then so when you get out to the end of this exercise into the 50s, and the reason why I try to kind of stop it there is your group of players between like let's just say off the top of my head, 50 and 85, or 55 and 85. They're extremely similar. So you start to get into a pool where you've got 30 or 40 players who, you know, they're going to look very different depending on their situation most of the time, and yet these are players who, when you look at the totality of them, you're like, boy, they're, they're, they're kind of all in the same ballpark. I need to put 20 or 30 or 40 players in the same bucket here um, and so I, I say that I won't, I won't preface that anymore, but I say that because with these guards that are coming up, um, these guys were all tricky for me. They were all really tricky. First one is Eric Bledsoe. I have reservations about Eric Bledsoe. I've, I've talked about it in videos before, specifically as an offensive player in the postseason and his three point shooting. And I almost just kind of left him off the team this year, but I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure about that because the things he's done, especially in the regular season, have been so productive and helpful for Milwaukee, specifically as a defender, still a very good defensive guard. And then offensively, when they play the five-out offense, that allows him to knife into the paint and get easy stuff at the rim. And I think when you either have teammates that take that away or you have a defensive structure in the postseason that can limit some of that open area to attack, he becomes seriously problematic on offense. Uh, boy, as I talk through this, I almost feel like I'm talking I'm talking him off the team. Uh, I don't know. Like I said, it becomes agonizing on the fringes. Another guy who I think is right, kind of just fits this bill as a player right now, uh, the next guard, Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio has not only been a balancing force for Phoenix, he's having one of his best passing years, but he's been a really, really, really steadying factor. And then defensively, he's very good. And yet you get into the same 
challenges that you get into with Bledsoe in the postseason, which is when you can really hone in and hunker down on his weaknesses, his inability to shoot, his inability to put any pressure on the defense, scoring limits his overall impact. Um, and so those are two guys, like, I don't know, maybe as I talk through this, I should just leave those guys aside. I'm not sure. I, I don't want to agonize too much over this, but those are certainly guys that are in this conversation in this kind of range as players to me. Oh, uh, man. I felt so good about this before I started recording. Um, next guard is a guard that I have been higher on than most people for a couple seasons now. And in a way, this is at the least a nod to him as a player and a nod to the spirit of the sub all-star team, even if you could convince me that he's not a top 50 player. And that is Brooklyn's Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie does uh, very well in my box plus minus model and all of the sort of one number models on offense. He looks like a top 20 or 25 offensive player in the league in those models. And I think that's because he is, I think in many ways, when he has the basketball, um, he's in that range. The question is, what happens when he's off the ball? You know, he's not a great shooter. So um, what's his off ball value? What happens if you, you know, we had this issue last year in Brooklyn with uh, D'Angelo Russell. And now this year, it's Kyrie Irving, who's come in and is the, you know, guy he's got to share that responsibility with. But as a creator and primary offensive option, very good passer, very good decision maker, creates a lot of shots for teammates. There's a lot of value there. And so the question is, how problematic is his defense? And I think it's problematic. But is it so problematic that you take him off this team? Um, I mean, compare him to a guy who I had on the other side of the cut line, and that's Lou Williams. Is Lou Williams a better offensive player than Spencer Dinwiddie in you know, your average or most situations, I don't know anymore. I don't know. I, I might rather have Dinwiddie. Uh, and then defensively, they both have issues, but I don't think Dinwiddie's issues are quite as good as Williams. By the way, that's not to say, hey, Spencer's way better on offense and he's way better on defense, and therefore there's a huge gap. No, these are very subtle things. They're very similar in both regards, which is why it's hard to draw a line in the sand somewhere when it comes to those two players. But Dinwiddie... In before I change my mind. Okay, next up, same same kind of situation as Dinwiddie in a way. He was a sub All Star last year, and I think he's just right in that same range as a player. He was on the on the borderline of being a sub All Star last year. I put him on the team, and it felt weird to take him off this year. And so that's D'Angelo Russell, very similar to last season, except in many ways he's he's up subtly in all of his metrics across the board I think his passing is fantastic I think his ability to create shots for teammates hit difficult shots like his scoring numbers are a little up across the board and much like he has a very similar profile to Dinwiddie when you just look at high level superficial metrics and you say okay on the basketball is he one of the better offensive players in the league yeah I mean he's not at that superstar level or top end level but as a floor raiser, as a guy who you can give the ball to a lot and have do stuff, he provides value. How does that scale up to better teams? I don't know. I mean, I'm more sympathetic. These guys are on the fringes for a reason because I'm more sympathetic to them being, in a way, 
outside the top 40 or 50 conversation because of these limitations and because they're young and haven't demonstrated it, haven't been put in the fire and put in different situations to demonstrate it. It would have been really cool if Golden State had a little bit more health this year. Maybe we'll get to see that when Curry comes back. So in a way, I feel like I'm flying blind right now and open to these guys being on either side of the cut line. But as I said at the beginning, the purpose of the sub-All-Stars and, and this exercise is to really look at the players who are worth mentioning and provide still provide value after those top 25 or 30 All-Star level players in the league. So, okay. A couple more guards here. A guy I talked about last year and left on the other side of the cut line, and this year I said, you know what, I think I think he's got to be in there. I think he's got to be in this range, even if he's on the fringe, and that's C.J. McCollum for Portland. He, he's, he can never really generate high-level efficiency. He's never really a high-level scorer, but his mid-range game, his overall shot, his ability to handle some point of attack on-ball responsibility, some pick-and-roll responsibility. He does create shots for teammates. He does have that off-ball value. He moves around. Uh, he just, you know, all the metrics still consider him like a really nice offensive player. I think the question there is, you're not a, you're not a super impactful high level offensive player. So how much do you give away on defense? And I think I think he gives away a decent amount. But much like the guys I've mentioned in this category, there just really aren't that many guards after these players in the NBA who you would say like, oh yeah, those I'd rather have those guys instead of the names I'm mentioning. I think I feel a little queasier about the guards this year because of some of the uncertainty around their circumstance and defense. When you get to the wings and the bigs, even though the evaluation can be just as difficult, you're sort of, there's less of an extreme. There's less of a like, okay, I know they're good on offense, but I don't know how well it translates or carries up. But, and I know they're, they're problematic on defense, but I can't really tell how bad it is. And that's what's happening with the guards for me this year. Um, and I think I feel a little bit more comfortable when we get to the forwards and the bigs. I hope so, because I'm feeling uneasy talking about this out loud in public. Okay, who's, who's next? Um, a guy who made the sub-all-star team last year. He's been criticized this year. I haven't seen as much of him as I did last season, but incidentally, again, his numbers are slightly up across the board, so it feels weird to say, oh, no, 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 he's like a... 80th best player in the league instead of the 50th or something. Um, and that's Darren Fox. And it's not to say I can't amend my opinion on these players over time. I do, even as I talk about it out loud. You know, I think, like I said, there's a good argument for someone like Russell to be on the outside of this kind of group looking in. That's roughly, I, I saw him as a fringe player last year. And Fox is very similar to that, but it feels weird not to include him in this discussion Given the tools that he does have, he is still a good passer. He can get downhill. He can get to the rim. He's athletic. He can finish. The shot is still a question mark, but if it's going, um, you know, he's a good offensive player and then at least has a gear defensively that I think some of these other guys don't have that I've mentioned. He's very young, and I still think when you go into your, you know, second half of your third year, the second half of your second year, even the second half of your fourth year, you're still putting on reps and getting experience where, you know, you might be better by May this year than you are um, when I'm doing this in January. One more guard for my 2020 sub-all-star team. 
John Morant. John Morant is someone I am going to do a deep dive video on very shortly in the near future. If you watch the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel, Jalen Brown is in the pipeline. John Morant is in the pipeline. Lots of lots more in the pipeline had planned for the rest of the season. But those are the two guys who are sort of in the immediate uh, future that I've been working on. And so I haven't finalized. I'll, I'll kind of have a better feeling for where I am at the end of that video when it comes to Jaw. But look, he's a rookie. I've talked about this before. Rookies, as the season go on, as the season goes on, they get their feet wet, they get their reps, they get experience, and they're typically growing when they're skilled like this. Uh, Luca had it last year. Trey Young had it last year. They're going to be better at the end of the year than they are right now. That's a that's a tricky thing to try to factor into uh, an exercise like this. But when it comes to Jaw, just the last month, just just since the calendar turned over to 2020, his efficiency's gone up. Uh, he's getting more comfortable getting to the basket. His passing is improving. His shot creation is improving. I mean, everything seems to be trending upward for a player who you have to start considering and having this conversation with these other guys is like, how many guards would I want to run my team? I mean, he's still so young, but man, tremendous skill and I think impact already coming through with Morant. Just as like a point of comparison, as I record this, he's averaging 20 points per 75, right around league average true shooting. And as I mentioned, that's, you know, in the ballpark or better than CJ McCollum, um, a little bit lower volume than De'Aaron Fox, slightly better efficiency than De'Aaron Fox. So he's he's around this sort of level, uh, at least statistically already. And then the passing and the shot creation and the feel and the pick and roll and how to attack, uh, that's all getting better. And because, you know, he continues to improve and we're only a couple months into his career, his overall impact metrics are only going to get better. Okay, the wings. He made the all-star team, but after long deliberation... I'm putting Brandon Ingram on the sub-all-star team. He was close. He is close to being an all-star to me. I certainly entertain that conversation. I don't know if I'd say it's criminal or crazy. I don't really think it's criminal or crazy that he's an all-star. It just still feels like a reach. And I've talked about this before, but I have not enjoyed his defense this season. I think he's in, he's in a totally different situation than he was in Los Angeles, both in terms of offense teammates but being able to have the basketball playing a different position so position leveling up to the four being able to attack fours but I just think that's really caused problems with his defense and as nice as his offensive game has been I still don't look at him and go oh okay so that's like one of the top 10 high level offensive on ball players in the league I think the shooting is real it is one of the great shooting improvements in league history it has opened up his offensive value both on and off the basketball, which is really nice. And that's why I think he's in this conversation. But I, I, I just have reservations about what I've seen on defense. And look, you can change my mind. I'm, I might change my mind. I'll look at the film, things like that. But to me, uh, he was I just landed on the other side of the line. I'm more comfortable saying he's not quite an all-star player yet. Okay, some return sub-all-stars from last year, so making their second straight appearance on this list. Robert Covington with Minnesota, super 3-and-D guy, can hit the three, 
uh, massively good impact on defense as a really long 6'8", 6'9", forward, can guard multiple positions, point of attack, et cetera, et cetera. Another guy returning from last last year for his second straight sub-all-star team in a totally different mold than the two players I just talked about, and that's DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan, man, has he been on fire lately, and that's boosted his efficiency, but he just still continues to terrorize uh, defenses in the middle of the floor with his mid-range game and his ability to get to the hoop. And so that opens up stuff for his teammates. And and the criticism against DeMar, that he's not a three-point shooter, is a valid criticism in the context of other guys shoot threes so they can get their efficiency up 10, 20% more points per shot. And so instead of being, you know, what is he right now? He's about 24 points per 75, and his true shooting is four percentage points better than the league. So other guys who shoot more threes, who play the kind of the same way, might be at 26 plus seven or something like that, whatever it is. And then that opens up the lane a little bit more for their teammates, and the, the whole thing is a little bit better. That's the criticism. That's a valid criticism. It's one of not having a super, super, super high ceiling. But as a sort of centerpiece, he is a lighter version of that. He creates offense. He puts pressure on the defense. He scores in bunches. He is not a terrible passer. He's a decent, decent sort of passer from the middle of the floor. So DeMar DeRozan. Interestingly enough, out of the players I've mentioned, DeRozan does have sort of the worst overall impact metric footprint. Make of that what you will. Bradley Beals also looks similarly poor. All these are dragged down by defense. So it, uh, these metrics are saying, oh, usually from plus minus noise. Oh, Beals atrocious on defense. DeRozan's atrocious on defense. I don't really think DeRozan's atrocious on defense. So he's kind of in this pool of players for me as a wing for the second year in a row. Now uh, let's talk about the Boston Celtics. <laughs> Because they have uh, a couple of players in this in this family, and I wasn't sure what to do with them. Like I said, Jalen Brown is a guy who I have a video on, so I'll, I'll point you to that video, which will be released not too long after this podcast, probably within a, a week or two, the beginning of February 2020. That video will be out, and I don't know if I'll go one way or the other, but I wanted to put Jalen Brown in this discussion and in this category per the spirit of the team because he has continued to improve. He's better than he was a year ago. His numbers are up. He is every Everything is basically up across the board. You see better penetration from him, a little bit more in the mid-range. The shot's still falling. I'll talk about this in detail, but I, I really wasn't sure where to put him, and again, ended up with him on on this side of the line, on the sub-all-star team. Same thing with his teammate, Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward, at the beginning of the season, first couple weeks, started to look like, like, okay, 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 now we're getting to like a top 30, we're getting to an all-star guy, we're getting to a guy who in Boston's circumstance can really add a lot of value as a secondary playmaker, he might be their best shooter when he's on the court, he's getting his kind of sea legs under him. And then he broke his hand and then he came back and it's been bumpy And now again, as I record this, that's starting to come back. And so my overall take on Hayward without dissecting his game too too much here is just to say 
think about where he was a couple seasons ago at his peak and how it's taken this long to come back from that devastating injury. Recovery isn't even linear. And I'm thinking the spurts we're seeing both at the beginning of the year and here, um, that is still him getting his feet under him when he gets his feet under him and he's totally polished at the highest level. I I don't know if that's an all-star player this season, but I do think that's a sub-all-star player. So Gordon Hayward. A new guy, someone who I don't think I've talked about on this podcast ever, but I feel more comfortable about this guy in a way than a number of other wings or forwards I've talked about, and that's Bojan Bogdanovic for the Utah Jazz. First time on this sub-all-star team. Um, Looks very good across the board. He's been a nice offensive piece for Utah. 23 points per 75, plus 4% true shooting. He's not a great passer. I don't love him as a passer. That's not really his jam. But his ability to score, shoot, I mean, he's, he's what? He's 90% from the line. He's 43% from downtown. So a mega spacer. He's got some isolation. He's got some skill. He's got some scoring skill as an offensive player. So the other Bogdanovich going to give him a nod here. Another player maybe similar in functional value, Danilo Gallinari. This guy's just a professional scorer. Again, someone who I really struggle with. You know, is he a clear top 40 player to me? No, but he's in the next group. And when you get out into the 50s and you just look at what he provides as a veteran, how that's probably going to carry over better into the playoffs, although it, it didn't necessarily last year. Um, but maybe that experience can help him because he hasn't had a lot of playoff experience in his career. So I'm kind of banking on that this season. But, you know, that mid-post area, the shooting, the the off-ball ability to space with his catch-and-shoot game, he's a better passer than Bogdanovich. Um, I have reservations like everyone probably about his defensive game. But I think Gallinari enough, again, for the spirit of this exercise to to be in the conversation. Okay, let's wrap up with some big men. Uh, before we get through this, just want to point out Draymond Green. I had him as an all-star last year. I've, I've provided many detailed thoughts on Draymond Green before. Uh, I'm just going to leave him on the sideline for now. He's had a down season. He's had a crazy circumstance. And much like what I just talked about with Danny Green, he's a guy when you have no good players around, he can't amplify those good players. He's a ceiling raiser not a floor raiser. So could he be awesome on a, you know, playoff team this season? Could his defense ratchet back up the way it did in the playoffs last year? Probably. I I don't know what to do with him though. I did want to acknowledge Draymond Green. Uh, The other guy I want to acknowledge on the big man line is Miles Turner. Miles Turner I had as a sub all-star last year and I don't know. I, I haven't seen too much Indiana, but between what I've seen and the metrics, I'm just not entirely sure he's right. He's in, He was in the conversation for me. He was absolutely close, but I was way more comfortable with what I saw from him defensively last year in putting him in this conversation, and I just left him on the other side of the line. This year, Tobias Harris, the only other player, uh, kind of the same thing. I was, I was fringy. Um, on the cusp with Tobias Harris last year and uh, and wanted to reward him. It was that same spirit of like, you know, it's hard to it's hard to deny what he did 
with the Clippers earlier in the season before he got traded. But Tobias Harris, Miles Turner, uh, they are out. The guys who are in, well, one of them was a la- uh, an all-star last year, uh, Nikola Vucevic for Orlando. I think still a good player. Obviously, the offensive stuff has come down. The shooting has come down, and that's driven down his efficiency. But, you know, still a still a nice passer, um, still doing solid things defensively, still good overall impact for Orlando. When I, I feel like when he plays well, Orlando suddenly becomes a little bit more dangerous. They win games. Then he has a couple bad nights. They lose games. So a guy you know, I think worthy of being talked about as a really high caliber NBA player. He was an all-star for me last year, uh, this year, a sub all-star. A couple more sub all-stars returning for the second time, second time in the Thinking Basketball sub all-star team. Steven Adams talked about him last year. He's expanded that high post passing this year. Solid defensive player. Doesn't take much off the table on offense. Just a, a really, a really nice piece to have in the middle without being, you know, a high impact kind of uh, big man. Uh, another returning sub all star from last year, Brooke Lopez. He's obviously shot the ball worse this season from downtown, but you could argue he's been even more effective defensively. He's been one of the better defensive players in the NBA. I'm not completely sold on him as like a defensive player, defensive player of the year caliber guy with the with the top handful of really best defenders but um, what he's been able to do with his size in that scheme next to Giannis in drop coverage very impressive for Milwaukee one more similar similar profile to what I just described with Lopez and that's Marcus Gasol Marcus Gasol has been fantastic as an extra passer in Toronto this year, not taking anything off the table. He doesn't, he just does what's asked of him on offense. And so again, even though you have shortcomings, you have a guy who's not in his prime anymore. He's not going to power you. He's not going to be a a second or third offensive centerpiece on a really good team. It's like, okay, between his spacing and his passing and his high IQ and his screen setting, when you put better players on the court, you don't lose too much on offense per se. And then on defense, even though he's you know slow afoot, um, Gasol's defense has again been really important and really impactful for Toronto. So he's got to be here. The only reason he wasn't an All Star for me last year is he had this great start and then he kind of fell off. And so he's he's again um, sub All Star kind of acknowledgement tip of the cap to Mark Gasol for just continuing to pound out great seasons. Next is a guy who has been an all-star for me for a long time, and that is Al Horford. Uh, I wasn't sure what to do with Horford either because I think he's a playoff performer, and I think his offensive strengths have been muted a little bit in whatever's been going on in Philadelphia. So I'm kind of hedging my bets. I'm not sure where I'll land on him at the end of the year, but I am making a small bet in that there are going to be spots in the postseason where your eyes open up during the game and you go, oh, oh boy, yeah, Al Horford's still really good. He has had some moments defensively and then offensively there was a game, I've seen a lot of Philadelphia off and on throughout the season. There was a game where Embiid was injured and I can't remember if Simmons played a lot. All of a sudden Horford's running like more active stuff in the offense. He's doing more high post passing, looks more like Celtics Horford. He's taking more threes. I mean, there's still the shell there 
of a really good high-level big man. So uh, his defense has been plenty good in the regular season, although I think it has another gear. And so I'll just we'll just leave Al here on the uh, on the sub All Star team. And let's see, that leaves two guys who were in my show notes last year. I can't remember if I mentioned it at the end of being really, really close cuts that didn't make the team. And this year, they're going to be first-time sub-all-stars for me. One is Paul Millsap of Denver. I mean, first time just in the <laughs> in the spirit of the podcast. Paul Millsap has had a number of really good years in his career. And I think this season, just what he's been able to do as an anchoring force on defense for the Nuggets has been fantastic. Um, he looks really good in defensive and overall impact metrics as well to kind of reinforce what you see when you tune in and watch and and all that stuff. The other big man that I mentioned, uh, Debonis Sabonis. Sabonis in Indiana. Now, of course, he's made the all-star team in real life. But to me, maybe a slightly better player than he was a year ago. Of course, he has that uh, short roll game down. He, it's, his office is just within that 12 to 15 feet, getting people off balance, downhill, changing angles. And that's really nice. But I, I do have questions about him defensively as a big man. I do have questions about how you would create high-level lineups with him as one of the better players in the lineup. Um, so I like his offense. I, I like him overall, but I don't really love him. And so he was he was closer to the borderline for me and then count me in the group of people who was shocked, just completely shocked, when he made the All-Star team uh, when it was announced this prior prior week in real life. Um, but, you know, good for, good, good for Sabonis. You know, he wasn't disrespected. Um, one more guy I put on this team, Zion Williamson. He's played five games as I record this. The question for me is whether he's going to be a sub-all-star this year or an actual all-star level player. I don't know the answer yet, but I do know what I've seen in five games. I have reservations about what I've seen on defense, but the offensive impact is going to be enough that you're just, you're not going to be able to, at least I'm not going to be able to be comfortable listing like 50 or 60 basketball players who are in the NBA this season who are better than him. So almost like a placeholder, I'm just putting him there for posterity. I've seen enough in five games to feel comfortable at the least having him on the sub-all-star team. Before I recap the teams, one more guy who I didn't discuss, and I don't want to discuss him in detail, but I just want to mention Kristaps Porzingis because he's a guy to me who at times this year I thought, oh, he's playing really well. Like he, he, you know, I don't know, maybe he's, he's getting back into shape. So coming off that huge injury, I don't know where I'm going to end up with him at the end of the season. I don't know where he'll progress to at the end of the season. These things, like I said, are not linear, but I do want to give a nod to him because he was another guy who I took on and off this team or at certain points in this season, he's really struggled the last week or two. Uh, but despite some of his metrics and bumps in the road and, and growing pains and healing pains coming back from this injury this season, there have been signs to me that at least have my my uh, Vulcan eyebrows go up. Do Vulcan eyebrows go up? Do they raise their eyebrows? They're already raised, right? Oh boy, I love 
I love getting in old Star Trek references on a basketball podcast. That's everyone's favorite. Um, recapping the team, 2020, thinking basketball, sub-all-stars, guards, Drew Holiday, Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Spencer Dinwiddie, John Morant, D'Angelo Russell, CJ McCollum, De'Aaron Fox. At the wings, Brandon Ingram, Robert Covington, Gordon Hayward, quote-unquote wings, uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, uh, Jalen Brown, DeMar DeRozan, and Danilo Gallinari. And finally, the big spots go to Paul Millsap, Demonis Sabonis, Steven Adams, Nikola Vucevic, Brooke Lopez, Marc Gasol, uh, tip of the cap here for Al Horford, and Zion Williamson. Yes, if you're wondering, Jonathan Isaac would have been in this conversation somewhere uh, if he didn't have his injury. I'm just assuming he's probably not going to come back for the rest of the season. And that is it. 2020 Thinking Basketball Sub-All-Star Team, the second annual Sub-All-Star Team. If you enjoyed this, if you enjoyed this podcast in general, one of the best ways to support it is to leave a rating and review, hopefully a, a positive one, uh, in your in your podcast uh, player of choice, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is. And of course, if you want access to some of the metrics that I reference here, you want to talk more basketball, we have a thinking basketball community for Patreons. You can head on over to patreon.com slash thinking basketball, directly support this channel, all the basketball endeavors that I do, thinking basketball, YouTube channel, everything, different tiers to sign up in. Uh, That obviously helps tremendously and a huge thank you as always to those patreon supporters who have just been so incredible uh, and supportive on this journey you are all fantastic thank you so much for all of your continued support hope you enjoyed this one let me know what you think and as always i hope that you are having a fantastic day no 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 sorry messed it up i hope that you are having a great day what was I thinking? What was that all about? <laughs>